Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. In a recent discussion with colleagues talking about the upcoming year and what we see changing in healthcare, someone commented that they expected to see population health finally focusing on social determinants of health or social influences of health. I was not convinced, not because this is not an essential area and an important activity, but because population health in America has for decades been marked by disappointing results and more recently with some negative gains in our overall population health. These problems are not new, as evidenced by reports now going back 10 years or more from the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine in 2012 for the public's health investing in healthier future, and in 2013, U.S. health in international perspective, shorter lives, poorer health. They highlight our fixation on clinical care and its delivery which, as they describe, eclipses attention to population-based activities that are for efficient and effective approaches to improving the nation's health. There are plenty of problems and challenges to explain the stark findings and disturbing trends in health, but one stands out especially to me as an immigrant to this country. American culture is different. Different from European culture, different from British culture, different from African and Middle Eastern, to mention but a few that I've lived in and experienced. American culture is central to the fabric of our society and integral to healthcare, but falls short on the community and social fabric. It is heavy on me and self-reliance, light on the we of our community in my experience. But that sense of the individual runs counter to the world we inhabit and the values in healthcare and the long-term common good we are striving for. These differences remind me of the iconic scene in the Monty Python movie, The Life of Brian, where Brian is talking to a crowd gathered in the street below his window as he tries to explain that everyone is an individual and how everyone is different. The crowd responds in unison, yes, we are all different. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Batcha Mesquita. She is a distinguished professor of psychology at the University of Leuven in Belgium, where she studies the role of culture in emotions and of emotions in culture and society. Hi, Batcher. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. It's great to be here. Thank you. So we're talking emotions, one of the things that we all sort of face, we experience, but I, I'm pretty sure that most of us don't really understand the way that we process and you've written a book, you've spent, I, I think, the better part of your career focusing on this. Tell us a little bit about 
how you look at emotions and how we experience them um, in, in the current environment that we live in. Yeah, I think, you know, most people think of their emotions in the way, I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out, but um, little creatures living in our head, um, you know, do, if, you know, they can be turned on and off. I mean, they can be active or not active, but they're always kind of the same. And for those people who have seen the movie, anger is always um, red and, and loud and, um, and screamy. Um, and, and sadness is always blue and slow. Um, and there, there are a few things that are remarkable about that. One is that they're in a person, and we don't think of emotions as between people. The other is that they are always the same. So basically, the same uh, little character creature um, comes up or is activated, whether I'm angry at the state of the world or angry at my little toddler or angry at my husband. Um, that, that is a way of seeing emotions. Um, and, you know, and they're, they're within the head. They're not really, they make you do certain things, but, but they're basically in the head there. That's not the way everybody in the world looks at emotions. And I also don't think it's the only way that we can think about our emotions and maybe not the best way of thinking about our emotions. So you bring up a, a great example. I think a lot of people can relate to, the, to that movie. I certainly did. You know, in, in many respects, I, I got to be honest, I watched it and thought, yeah, that explains it. But what you're suggesting is certainly that contributes. I think that's why we could watch the movie and say, well, that makes sense. But there's more to it. It's, it's actually about the intersection with other people and groups of other people and, and indeed cultures um, as you yourself, you've come from different cultures and experienced them. There's some challenges in that. What's going on there? How, how do we explain that? Well, I think a way of looking at emotions that is much more common in other cultures is to see emotions as primarily relational acts. So when I'm angry, it's not I, of course, I may feel something in, in, or I may have some bodily sensations or I may feel something. Um, but but really what angry is, anger is, is that I'm telling the person I'm angry at that I'm not going to accept any more of this bullshit. I'm not going to accept their behavior. I'm entitled to better treatment. I convey that, you know, between you and me, it's, it's, it's me uh, setting the boundaries now. And so what I think what we overlook often in our in the Western way of looking at emotions is that they're that they are actions in relationships. Now, once you understand that, and that I that is true even within Western worlds, it also becomes clear why emotions evolve differently in different cultures, because I am angry at you. Um, but you are not a neutral, you know, it doesn't reflect from a wall. You're a person or an environment even uh, altogether or culture that accepts that anger uh, or not, or that reciprocates with anger, that yields to what I want. Um, and that depends on 
what the culture values and what is valued in the particular relationship that I'm in. So an example, um, if I am a boss, I can probably get angry because I have the position to set boundaries. Now, if I am the lower employee, I may not be in the position that my anger has a very good effect. Um, another example, when I'm in a culture where asserting yourself or, or standing for your individual rights is a good thing, and I think many Western cultures that is the case, then anger is an okay emotion. I mean, it's unpleasant, but it has to be done and you have to tell people where they stand. When I'm in a culture where uh, relational harmony is the most important value, then anger isn't going to do me much good. Unless, for example, I am the person who is um, reassuring that, to, that that other people can confirm to the, or can, what do you say, uh, meet the norms. Um, so when I'm the boss or when I'm the elderly, then I may be angry in a certain way. I can't be angry because I'm frustrated, but I can be angry because you're violating norms here. So, so I think the way to understand emotions, cultural differences in emotions better, and also to understand that the trajectory of emotions is not always the same, is to see them as, as actions between people. As, as attempts to change or maintain relationships. And, you know, of course, when I, when, I, when I claim a right, you're not going to be neutral about that. You're responding to me um, with some invested interest um, and, you know, and against the background of the norms or about the relationships, expectations that you have. So in that sense, it's, it's much more um, understandable why there would be cultural differences, but also differences between men and women, between different groups, um, between people with different values, different religions. Um, so, so that is so. What I'm doing in the book is I'm I'm turning what I'm saying is I'm turning emotions inside out. I'm saying, look, if you if you track your emotions towards the outside world, if you if you look at what their function is in, in the relationships in which you or others have them, you will understand much more about, about your emotions. And I think that's true anyway, but it's certainly true um, once you, once you uh, interact in different relationships. And when you talk to me, when you ask me about my own turbulence in changing cultures, I think what happened is, um, you know, it wasn't a very different uh, culture. I had moved a few times within Europe and I hadn't experienced very large um, or insurmountable differ um, differences. But when I came to the US, I really felt inadequate. And I think just using the language that I used just a minute ago, I think that what I tried to do with my emotions and what my American interaction partners try to do with their emotions was different. And so people would, you know, praise me and thank me. And I thought I didn't understand when they did and why they did. And I also sometimes felt uneasy about it. So um, I, I talk in, in the book about a time that somebody said I was the world expert on cultural emotion and and this is 30 years ago so i really didn't feel that i merited that so 
I looked at the ground and I mumbled. And, you know, I think in retrospect that what you do in America in those kind of situations is make people contribute to people's self-esteem. You make each other feel good about yourselves as much as you can. And actually, once you're used to that, that's that's an equally and maybe more pleasant way of interacting with each other than what people in Europe do. But what people in Europe do is not sticking out and making sure that nobody is better than the other person. And so our whole conversation or interaction is about um, making connections with other people and not offending other people or making sure that we give people what they're entitled to, but which is never more than anybody else. So I think the whole discourse is about connection, but not about making each other feel good about yourself or especially unique or in, to the country. My mother said to me when I was growing up, uh, act normal, that's special enough. Um, and, you know, that's a Dutch expression that many Dutch people will will uh, resonate with. Um, so I think these are small examples and, you know, nobody, they, there, there wasn't big harm done, but there was a lot of misunderstanding. And for me, it was a lot of falling short of the normal emotional interactions. So people would, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, it, it, it's, it's such helpful insight and, you know, especially for, um, you know, as I think of friends, colleagues in, in the United States who have grown up and lived here. But, you know, even for them, they're growing up in specific parts of the U.S., which are quite different, very different cultural sort of experiences. And a lot of what you describe, I'm pretty sure many, many immigrants would resonate with. And whilst I don't have quite the same extent of the Dutch, I certainly grew up with the Dutch, felt very similar experiences. And, you know, in many respects, it's a sort of European thing. And one of the things that really strikes me that you, you sort of draw out, and this is where I want to focus in, in terms of how we sort of approach this is, I live certainly in this country in this mixing pot. We are just filled with all this completely um, broad sense of cultures. That's not true throughout the US, but I live in the DC area, especially so, and certainly in you know New York when I lived in that area, San Francisco. And that brings all these cultural experiences, yet we're trying, I don't want to say impose, but we're sort of pushing on, this is how things are done, you should adapt. And I recognize, okay, I'm in the US, I want to behave and be part of that. But at the same time, some of those cultural things are inhibiting our ability to deliver care because we're not connecting with people. And your point about conflict is a, a fantastic one. I've worked in the Middle East where, you know, that's almost a just forget about anything if you're going to create conflict. It's such a discomfort in terms of an experience, yet that's a sort of foundational thing. And yet we have all of these people. I know you've thought about this very deeply. How do we go about this? in terms of helping people understand. One of the things that I really was struck about in, in your book was that you, you sort of defined this whole process as, you know, acknowledging these differences uh, and allowing us to find common ground. But does that mean we have to insert? How do we get to this experience so that we can have these outside in 
exchanges mm -hmm. to deliver better experiences for everybody in the country. I think, you know, one, one, the way to start is I think that we need to acknowledge that we're not all the same emotionally, that, you know, we all have emotions because emotions are responses to things that are out of the ordinary. Um, and so everybody has emotions and everybody has emotions about the things that are important to them. And they have them in the ways that, you know, more than not fits the, the, the way in which the culture wants to do relationships. So you mentioned the, the Middle East. In the Middle East, it's very important that um, people don't challenge your anger, your honor, sorry. And, you know, people offending you is, is basically a shameful experience, but the only way in which you can then uh, restore your, your honor is by getting really ang angry and depending on the offense, sometimes violent. Um, but what happens, of course, is that there's not constant violence, but what happens is that people are very careful and polite and that there are certain, certain systems in place where people won't violate each other, won't challenge each other's honor. Um, now, how do you communicate across boundaries? I think you try, there is not, there's not a short way to that. I mean, I think you tread carefully, basically. Um, but what I say in the book is that one thing that helps is to not to not expect that you will feel exactly the same as everybody else about even the same situation, that you open the possibility that this very situation uh, may feel uh, different to different people because different things are at stake for them because they expect that other people will respond differently to this to this situation or to their respective reactions that or just that the world looks differently i have this um you know this example in the book of an anthropologist who is um in some i can't remember where she is but she, she's in some underprivileged island and her daughter gets sick just, you know, has a fever. And one of the women approaches her and says, oh, I know exactly how you feel. My, ch my child died a year ago. Uh, and I actually don't think about the child anymore. And she is shocked at first. And she's, she thinks that, you know, this is the very thing that they can connect on is, is their, that they're both mothers of small kids. And she realizes that even if the situation of a sick child may seem the same, the, the resources of doing something about it are very different. And that she's never going to accept or never have to accept that her child is going to die because she would fly her out and get her to the best emergency hospital. So, so I think this is a very concrete example, but same ways. Um, if somebody slights me, I don't have to respond. I'm Dutch. I can think uh, that was stupid. Um, you know, I don't have to respond. But I don't know that I would have the same liberty if I lived in a culture where everybody would think she's slighted and she doesn't respond. That means that she she's not worth it, or she agrees that her you know that she she doesn't have status and she she consents to that. Um, so. So realities are different, imagined, well, actually it's not imagined, 
socially or materially, um, they're, they're different. How people interpret situations is different and often related to the realities that they've known in their lives. And emotions have different different meanings in different cultures and 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 honestly have different meanings, not to people individually, but to the to the context, to other people in that context. So you, you can't just, you know, you can't just respond on the emotions. So all of these things in the book, I say, look, where there are cultural differences, we know we have to know where there are cultural differences. And it's it's more or less these different junctures of emotions. What is at stake? What is the emotion like? What do you do when you have that emotion? And what would other people do if they knew you had that emotion or if they knew that you were in that situation? I think those are things to check with your conversation partner. And you don't have to check it by saying, how do you feel deep inside? Because that's not how everybody in the world talks about their emotions. But you can talk about people, uh, you can talk to people about what is important in this situation. What is at play? Um, what are you afraid that would happen? Or what do you hope that will happen? How will other people respond if you have these emotions? Or even if, what would they have thought if you if you didn't respond in any way? Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I would say that would that's a first approach to differences, being humble, not thinking that you understand or can empathize trying to approach what is important for them and what is at stake for them without necessarily filling it in. And also realizing that it may not be a one-time guess, that it's just communication. And when I say all those things, I think if you did that with people from the same culture, it would probably, however culture is defined, uh, it would probably not hurt. Um, You know, it's not that you're going to going to feel exactly the same. Um, I'm definitely a pro-life person, but I may be humanizing, uh, no, sorry, I'm not a pro, pro-life, pro I'm a, I'm a pro-choice person, but I may, be, I may be humanizing a pro-life person if I at least try to understand how important for them it was, what was at stake. So I, you bring up some really important points. I think, you know, a couple of things that I want to just draw out, um, you know, we are not all the same um, and, you know, starting from that premise. And I think specifically being humble um, and being open to the, the acceptance that you, you won't necessarily understand or empathize. It's one of the things that I learned as a physician um, years later when I used to tell, uh, you know, give the bad news to relatives when somebody had died and I tried very hard to believe that I was empathizing. And in reality, I, I understood later when my father died that I, I really didn't understand. I'd had to experience it. I think what I get from all of this is it, the, the healthcare systems, and in, in fact, many of the healthcare systems need a, a bacha in their organization to help guide and short of that, having some of these concepts as part of their um, uh, organization, having them as fundamentals, and perhaps even, you know, getting to the details of the book where you describe, you know, both mind, this sort of internal internalization and the R's emotion, the outside the person, relational and situated, which is, you know, depends on the situation, I think is a sort of fundamental step 
uh, to this. Bacha, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Nick. This was a pleasure. We are all different, and these differences are not bridged easily, especially across cultural boundaries that train us to respond in very specific ways emotionally. As you heard, we need to tread carefully with a clear understanding that you cannot expect to feel the same way as everyone else when presented with an identical set of information or experiences. Your better pill to swallow is to raise the awareness of cultural differences in your organization and in the healthcare services you offer. Start with the principle that we are all different and that you may not be able to understand or empathize with everyone's position, but you can stay humble and sensitive. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.